Well, good morning. We're, uh, we're going to get started in just a couple minutes. If you want to find your seats, we'll uh, begin our Sunday school time. Good to see all of you. Glad you're, you're able to come and we can learn together and uh, explore uh, what the Lord has in store for us through his word. Um, and hopefully I get to learn something too. So you get to teach me as well, which is really exciting. Um, so as we find our seats and get ready to start, um, why don't we open with a time of prayer uh, to come before the Lord, ask for his help, ask for uh, his wisdom, uh, especially that we can all grow in our faith and our understanding of him. So let's pray. Almighty Father, we thank you that you have uh, brought us before your word. We thank you that there are uh, many treasures to uncover, things that we may have thought about before and things that are new. But even still, Lord, there is always more depth than we realize. You are always uh, teaching us. You are always growing us. Um, and even as we, as we understand many things, we understand things in uh, childish ways and limited ways. And so may you mature us. May you deepen our understanding of you, of the people you've called us to be, uh, and that we may uh, rejoice in this knowledge, knowing that we are, we are in your hands. You are the one molding us and shaping us, and it's for your glory that we live. Bless uh, our time together as we learn for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so a couple, well, not a couple weeks ago, uh, a while ago, um, I think it was during the candidating trip, I did a Sunday school on contentment. Um, so the, we looked at the book a little bit um, by Jeremiah Burroughs, um, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And uh, we learned about how we as Christians are called to be content. We learned about what contentment is not, what it looks like, why we're supposed to be content, all that stuff. Um, but it got me thinking. What if we started learning about the other things as well? What other virtues, like contentment, has God called us to exhibit? Um, how has God called us to live? And what do these things look like? What's it look like to be a virtuous person? Um, what are the virtues? Right? What is virtue itself? Uh, so I thought this would be uh, a fun series to start exploring uh, what the Lord has said, uh, all the many ways that he's called us to live, uh, and how we can start um, trusting him and, and walking in that path that he's called us to walk. So the goal, right, this is not going to be a vocab lesson. We're not just going to talk about all the virtues there are and define each one and then, you know, wash your hands and be done. Um, the point is we want to find out what virtue is, why does it matter, and how we can apply it to our lives, right? Because it's not, it's not enough to just learn what a word means, um, and it's not even just enough to learn why that word might be important. Why is it important to be content? But how do we apply that? How do we walk in something like contentment? Um, what does it look like to do the opposite, to be discontent? If you remember that lesson, we talked about how discontentment actually draws us away from the Lord. Um, but the Lord calls us uh, to apply these virtues to our lives. Not just tells us, here's the checklist of things you've got to do. Right, but here are, are the things that I want you to exhibit and to live by and to be. So this is not a lesson. This will not be a series of lessons on what it means to be a good person. We're not just going to talk about what it means to be a nice person who uh, generally is agreeable and other people look up to. But who does God want us to be? We're not asking, right, what must I do for God to recognize me? 
Or what must I do to be saved? We're asking the question, who does God want me to be? How does he want me to live? So let's start asking the questions. Right? If we're going to talk about virtue, it would help to know what virtue is. So what do you think? What is virtue? What comes to your mind when you think of the word virtue? Good qualities. All right? It's good. There's something good about it. What else? Character. Character. Excellent. Something about your character uh, is associated with virtue. What else? What else comes to your mind when you think of a virtue, of being virtuous, um, that sort of thing? Can you say that again? Uh, in addition to character, it would have to be a deep love. Okay, yeah. In addition, love. in addition to character, it has to be associated with love. That's a great point. Let me, let me ask you this question, and you don't have to shout the answer out because it'll just be yes or no, but is, is uh, virtue something that you do, or is it something that you are? Are. But can't you do virtuous things? Yeah. Totally, you can do virtuous things. But here's what I, uh, we should think about virtue. It's not just about doing a good work, but it's, uh, it's even something that's more of a habit, something that's a disposition, something about you that is more than just, well, I did a good deed on Saturday, therefore I'm virtuous. But... You are the kind of person who does these virtues. You are generally disposed to being uh, the kind of person who, who follows in these virtues. See, even a bad person can do a virtuous act. Exactly. That doesn't make them virtuous. Exactly. Uh, Gary just said, even a bad person can do something virtuous, but that doesn't make them a virtuous person. Uh, that's exactly true. Um, C.S. Lewis would say it like this. Uh, C.S., there's, there's bad tennis players, right, who still make a good shot once in a while, right? But a good tennis player, they have honed their skills, uh, they have built their body up in such a way that on, on average, most of the time they're making good shots, right? It's not just an accident when they make a good shot. It's even something that's expected. Uh, it's something that they have trained themselves in, Right? So a habit or, or a virtue as a habit or as a disposition or something that you've been trained in becomes something that you just do automatically. It becomes your, your natural way of responding. Uh, it's also something good, right? It is something that uh, is good and not evil, right? We can contrast something virtuous with something not virtuous. If God calls us to be content, that means, by implication, that he's calling us to not be discontent. With the other virtues, we'll see that there are, there are many ways in which we fall into vice. We fall into things that are, are evil and wrong. And so this helps separate uh, virtue from something, uh, from something that's simply a virtuous act. Right? Just doing a, a good thing does not make you virtuous, but it's the quality of one's character, as John said.
I think you could say that for sure. Virtue is, can be thought of as a fruit of the Spirit. Um, but before we get into things like that, we're just looking at more generally um, the quality of one's character as being virtue, right? not just the act. Why is that important? Why is it important that we think about virtue not as doing the good things, but as something that it becomes part of us, that becomes part of our character, part of our, our disposition? Why is that important? Charlie. Okay, totally, right? Out of uh, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? What is in our heart flows into what we do. So it's not just about the things we do, it's about the heart. I think I saw someone else's hand. Same thing? Totally. Yeah. God didn't... Totally. Yeah, you can, f- you can easily fake being a virtuous person, right, by just hab- uh, doing the outward things, but your heart, in reality, is not in it. It's not a genuine act. It's something that's even self-serving. I think that's called hypocrisy. <laughs> that is called hypocrisy. Yeah, doing something that you don't mean. Uh, so there's, there's a few more things that make this important that we distinguish between just the virtue itself or doing the virtuous act. Um, one of them is that if we just think about the virtue as the act, we might prioritize doing good things. We might think that's what God wants of me is I need to make sure that I am doing these things. I need to watch my life and make sure right, that I am, I am being a good person because that's what God wants. But like Steve said, and like Charlie said, God wants our hearts, right? If, if we are completely on the outside, messing everything up and making mistakes and just horrible, but yet our heart is, is trusting in God, leaning on his grace, repenting and praying and, and in faith calling upon him, that is more important because our hearts are more important than just our outward deeds, and so another thing that makes it important, right, is that we see that God doesn't want us to be task people, doesn't want us to put in our, uh, our reminder app or whatever app you have for your tasks, here are the good deeds I'm going to do today. And then you start checking them off, and at the end of the day, you think, man, I was a good person today. That's not what God wants. Because the Lord puts different situations in our lives. He puts different opportunities for us to show virtue in our lives. And when we have decided how we're going to be good people, instead of trusting him, uh, and seeking to serve him and glorify him, we swapped it. Now we're living for our own glory so that we feel good about ourselves. And there's one more reason, right, why it's important to not just think about good deeds. Um, and that reason is because we're talking about more than just this life. We're not just talking about the 70, 80, 90 years that we're going to live on this earth because we're going to live a lot longer than that. Right? We're not just talking about, okay, how can I be a good person for a little while, and then in heaven, finally, you know, I can do what I want. But when we follow in these virtues and walk in these ways that the Lord has called us to walk, uh, this is the beginning of a, an eternity of walking with the Lord, of walking in these virtues. We're just at the beginning 
we're just getting started. And so that means we're not trying to be perfect. We're not trying to get it down, right, and make sure that we have learned all these things before we go to heaven. We are just getting started. And so we're looking at this as the way that the Lord has called us to walk, uh, not just now, but forever. And I think that also helps take some of the pressure off is that we're not trying to learn it all in 70 years. There's a lot, there's too much to learn. But thankfully, uh, we have a Lord who walks with us in this life and forgives us when we fail and picks us up and puts us back on the way. Okay, so if that's how we're thinking about virtue, how do we know what virtue is? Right? Is there just something intuitive in us that we see something, we see that's virtue and that's vice? Right? But how do we know? How do we know the difference between virtue and vice? Right. We need a standard. Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. It's true. Jesus said you'll know them by your fruit. But we need something to say this is good fruit and this is bad fruit. Right? We need some for a standard. We need scripture to tell us what it is. So if you could think uh, in your Bible knowledge and pull up a verse, what verse sums up the virtuous life? Sarah. Galatians 5.22. That's a great start. Um, Fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness and self-control. John? Be holy because I am holy. Okay. Also good. Okay. Proverbs 31 is the virtuous woman. Charlie? Okay, sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, contrite heart. Also really shows us about virtue. Steve. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your mind and your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summing up the Ten Commandments. Um, if I had to pick a verse, it would be that one. Or actually, I think it would actually be the verse that Jesus is referencing. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Uh, if I were to sum up right, all of virtue, all of Christian living, all the verses that you all just said that are excellent and show us what virtue is, but sum it up, I would do it in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. I think that sums up for us what the virtuous life looks like. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Uh, Maybe you've heard Pastor Brett talk about this, or maybe you've read the book that he wrote on membership about how um, there are these three categories that the Lord conforms us to Christ's image, right? You have the mind, you have the heart, and you have uh, your life. I think you can apply that to here, to Deuteronomy 6.5, where he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul, so all of your mind, all of your thoughts, uh, all of the ways that you are putting faith into action, 
And then all of your might, all of your life, all of your resources, all of your time, all of your energy. Right? When the Lord says, love me with everything that you are, everything that leaves nothing out. And unfortunately, right, we love to leave things out. Right? We love to love God with all of our mind, but then loving him with our heart and with our life kind of slip by the wayside. Or we're really good at loving God with our life. We, we are really good at using the resources and the time and the energy that we have to love God, but then we don't love him with our mind or with our heart as much as we should. There are many ways in which we can prioritize one and the rest slip away. But we need to be people who love him with everything that we are, with all of our mind, all of our heart, and all of our life. And so we'll look at how the virtues that the Lord has called us to live uh, fit into these categories, how we can break them down, how we can say, well, what does it mean to love God with my mind? Here are the virtues that he has called us to live by, or my heart, or my life. And certainly we're not going to get to every virtue that has ever existed because there's probably way more than I can even think of. Um, So it won't be exhaustive. But I think we can look through Scripture and see, okay, God has called us to some very specific things, but he's also called us to apply them to these categories. And so we'll, we'll break them up in heart, mind, and life, um, and we'll break them up and see how the Lord calls us to use our faith, our hope, and our love and direct all of that towards him because he calls us to love us with our mind, right? our faith, putting our trust in him uh, and using our faith in everything that we think about him and about life and about who we are. He calls us to love him with our hearts, with our hope, with the things that we desire, the things that we look forward to, the things that we want. And he calls us to love him with our lives and to apply the love that we have for him to every part of our lives. So there's, there's a couple ways that we'll do that. Um, one of them that I thought about doing was to do the cardinal virtues. Uh, maybe you've heard of the cardinal virtues. A lot of people have talked about them throughout the, the years. Aristotle, C.S. Lewis, the only two philosophers that I can think of right now. Um, but you can think of those as prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude, um, which are not bad categories. It has to do with wisdom, with patience, um, with pursuing the right good, uh, pursuing good and um, being steadfast. But I think uh, seeing how the Lord actually calls us, right, to think of our lives in terms of our mind, our heart, our lives, that we'll see that he has called us then to, to follow him in specific ways. So we can think of how he calls us to love him with our mind in ways of courage, patience, trusting him, and being truthful people. So those are some of the virtues that we'll look at when we're talking about how to love God with our mind, courage, uh, patience, perseverance, uh, trusting him, and truthfulness. But we're also called to love him with our hearts, 
Right, so some of the virtues that we'll look at will be humility, uh, temperance, having the right amount of indulgence, right, not going too far, but neither being completely abstinent um, from everything in this life, joy, uh, and sorrow. These are some of the virtues that the Lord calls us to, to live by and to love him with. And then finally, uh, we're called to love him with our lives. We're called to love him by properly working and resting in generosity, in wisdom, and applying wisdom to our lives and faithfulness. So those are some of the virtues that we'll look at. Um, we'll probably end up going a little bit past New Year's. I hope to kind of fit it in before Christmas, um, but there might be one or two more. And also, if there's a virtue that one of you really wants to talk about, uh, we can work it in. We'll talk about it and see what we can do. Uh, because there's tons of virtues out there, and our lives are different. You may be going through something that you want to know, how can I love God in the midst of these circumstances? So we can certainly talk about that. But here's another question for you uh, to start thinking about, okay, so here's virtue. Here's some of the virtues that we can do. I need to love God uh, with my heart and my mind and my uh, might. But here's a question. Is virtue natural? Yes or no? Yes or no? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so in that sense, they are natural according to human nature, but post-fall, because our will has been marred, it is now not natural in the sense that we cannot pursue them on our own acts of grace. Great. Yeah. Yes and no. Right. We are created in a certain way, and we are created to be virtuous, and so it's natural in that sense, um, but... When sin came into the picture, uh, sin, like sin does, broke everything. And now sin, or now virtue actually feels not natural. Right? If, if virtue is a habit or a disposition that we're called to be, we don't start there. We don't start out naturally virtuous, naturally disposed to loving the Lord in these ways. No, it's the opposite. We're naturally disposed to to hate God, to not want to love him, to hold things back for ourselves, to hold our lives, to hold our resources and our money and our time and our energy back from God because those belong to us, right? That's what feels natural. Or it feels natural to hold our pride, to hold our desires and, and the things that we want to accomplish for ourselves instead of giving that to God. Or we want to use our minds for ourselves, we want to say, my mind is my own. I can think what I want. Nobody can tell me what to think, not even God, because I'm the smartest person in the room. That's what's natural. Steve. Know when somebody else is 
Yeah, that's a great distinction. Um, thinking about, sure, we, we can't see those things in ourselves. We can't really be naturally virtuous in ourselves, but we can see when other people are not being virtuous. Right? There's something about the law being written on our hearts as human beings that even after the fall, almost most people in the world can see that's a bad thing and that's a good thing. It's good to be generous. It's good to pursue justice. It's, it's good to love others. And it's wrong to take advantage, to oppress, to hate. Right? These are things that people understand, but just for because of sin, we don't see those things playing out all over the place because it's, it's so hard to see it in ourselves and so hard to actually put that into practice. Right? Because it's, it's something that takes work. Because we're not, we're, we're working against ourselves, against our own sinful nature. So back to the question of, well, if virtue is not natural, right, and someone who is not virtuous can still do a good thing, right, is it possible for an unbeliever to be virtuous? In whose eyes? In whose eyes? Okay, fair question. Steve? Sure, yeah. Someone with a, a, a heart that is not inclined towards the Lord cannot then be virtuous because what's missing? The heart, love, the Holy Spirit. Exactly. Faith. Definitely. Uh, Charlie. Yeah. So there's there's definitely something missing, right? There's there's a key ingredient towards virtuousness. That's a word um, that is lacking. But there's still the reality that an unbeliever, even though they are are uh, not disposed towards doing uh, towards loving the Lord, they are broken and have dead hearts. Yet still, there's a law written on that heart. That the Lord, in creating us, there's still something present uh, that can tell what's good and wrong and even do those things. I'm sure most of us in this room uh, know an unbeliever who's a good person, or at least outwardly, right? They're kind, they're generous, they're, they're faithful, they're true to the word, um, they are pleasant to get along with, they are generally good people. Right? Some of I I know some unbelievers who are probably better people than I am. Because they they're nicer, they are easier to get along with, all these things. Uh, and so the point is not, well, 
we have something that they don't, so we get to feel good about ourselves, right? Or we get to do those things that they can't do, and, and we're just going to end up as better people. This is not the point. Because the point of virtue, right, is not to exalt ourselves. Because the missing ingredient is not something that we have. We need someone to come into our lives and give us that missing ingredient before we can then even begin. Before we can even get started learning virtue, something in us in us needs to be changed. Something that we can't change ourselves. So the author of Hebrews will say it like this. Uh, in Hebrews 11, And without faith... It is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The problem is no one seeks God unless he's been drawn. Unless Jesus has drawn him to the Father. That is when we can begin the process of learning how to please God. How to love him with our hearts, uh, with our minds, and uh, with our lives. So yes and no, right? Unbelievers, in a sense, can do virtuous acts. Uh, In a sense, they can understand these things, um, but they cannot exhibit these qualities of character because there's something missing. Their hearts are still broken and stony. So they can't love God, right? They, they are incapable of loving God, incapable of pleasing him, enslaved to serving themselves, enslaved to loving themselves instead of loving God. So that slavery has to be broken. So let's ask this then. How does Christ, how does Christ break that bondage and allow us to live virtuous lives? Uh, And how do we see him as an example to follow? So first question first, um, how does Christ break us uh, from the bondage to sin? And then how does that allow us to begin walking a virtuous life? John? Makes us new creatures. Definitely. There's a passage in Joel um, where the Lord says that he will take those hearts of stone, those dead hearts, and give living hearts, hearts that uh, are made of flesh. And the imagery is that someone who is dead is now made alive. Someone who was broken is now healed. But what else? What else does Jesus do that, that not just enables us, but then pushes us onto this path uh, to virtuous life? Pat? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. If, if we were just concerned with dealing with all the sins and mistakes that we had already made, how could we then look forward to doing the things God has called us to do or to be the people he's called us to be? Why would we be virtuous if we didn't have forgiveness? Because we're trying to atone for ourselves. Or in other words, 
Another way to look at it is if Christ just died on the cross and didn't come back to life, where would that leave us? Still dead in our sins. Still dead in our sins. Back in the Garden of Eden, basically. Where we would then, it would be on us. We would need to be virtuous because otherwise we're going we're gonna to go to hell. All the pressure now becomes uh, our pressure. Our pressure to atone for ourselves, uh, to live, not because we're doing so out of gratitude, because it's our survival. And of course, it would take exactly one millisecond before we sinned again and would be right back at the, at the beginning. So when Christ forgives us of our sins, and then when he comes back to life, making us new creatures who have been raised with him, what does that do to all of the old ways, to all of the old habits, all of the old dispositions, all the, un, the things that are now natural to sinful people? What does it do to all of it? What, is, uh, what, is, what do the Psalms say? He has removed us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. It's not ours anymore. Right. I, I think uh, Galatians 2.19 pretty much sums that up. It says, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Amen. We've been crucified with Christ, which means we are now living on our own, but Christ is living in us. Right, we, we cannot discount the importance of the Holy Spirit being present in us. We can't forget that and try to go and be self-sufficient. Right? If, if what you take away from uh, learning about a virtue is, okay, here's how I, sh- I have to be better. I'm going to go out tomorrow on Monday and I'm going to be better. I'm going to go and I'm going to do amazing things and I'm going, to, I'm going to learn how to trust God or I'm going to learn how to be generous. And we forget that we're not doing that on our own. We can't even begin on our own because we need the Spirit and the Spirit is living in us and the one who is helping us, comforting us when we mess up, which will be exactly one second after we begin. He is the one who is filling us with the grace we need to actually trust God. And it's the whole reason we do it. The reason is not for ourselves. It's not to prove to God that, oh, look, Lord, you did all these great things for me. I'm going to prove I deserve it by going and and being a virtuous person. It's not what God wants. He calls us to be these, this kind of people because that's who he created us to be. So like the identity lesson we learned last week, we're actually, he is conforming us to be more like the ones we're created to be, to be more like ourselves because we are created to love him with everything that we are. But even more importantly, he is now conforming us to Christ. So when we look at Christ, 
right? We don't just see, we do see a savior. That's obviously really important. But we see something uh, a little bit different as well. We see that Christ lived the perfect life. If we want an example of what it looks like to live by these virtues, we, we could not do any better than by looking at Christ's life. And there are some things, right, about Christ that we're not called to imitate, right? We're not called to go and, and sacrifice ourselves to atone for the sins of the many. We're not, we're not Jesus. We're not fully God. But yet, when we see Christ loving others, when we see Christ uh, giving himself up for others, sacrificing himself, and when we see him loving God with his mind, with his heart, with his life, we can look at that and follow his example. And so we'll try to do that too when we look at the virtues uh, in more depth. We'll, we'll look at, well, how does Christ exhibit this virtue? Or maybe there are other biblical examples of people that the Lord has given us, right? Of people who have walked in these ways. For example, when we talk about wisdom, how can we talk about wisdom without talking about Solomon? And not my son, although I'm sure he's going to be very wise. But about the King Solomon and, and the depths of wisdom that the Lord gave him. And what did it look like when he pursued that wisdom? And what did it look like when that wisdom, when the target moved from here straight onto the Lord, just a little bit off? And how that, over time, uh, ruined Solomon. That's one of the ways that we can look at Christ and see uh, what he has done for us and how we can actually follow in his footsteps. Uh, but there's, there's one more thing that we can mention, and that's how the Lord uh, is molding us and shaping us in the image of Christ. Uh, going along with everything that we've already said about virtue, how it's not for us, we're not doing it on our own. In fact, it's God doing it in us. That the Lord is the one who is molding us and shaping us. And that when we look at virtue and we look at what the Lord calls us to do and who he calls us to be, we have to realize that God is the one teaching us this lesson. That it's not us who's going to go out and learn it on our own and get really good at it, but it's something that the Lord is going to teach you. And sometimes he's going to teach you through difficult circumstances. He's going to teach you to be generous in ways you don't expect. Maybe it's going to be by taking away your finances so that you have to learn to trust him with your money. And that, like the widow who gave two pennies, which was all she had, she was the one the Lord said, she gets it. She loves me. Because she's generous, even when she doesn't have anything of her own. Maybe the Lord will teach, him, teach us humility right, by breaking down our pride, by addressing the heart of our idols and, and breaking those so that we have nowhere to turn, pushing us to our edge so that we run out of resources and so that we have to trust him because we have nothing left to give. We have to lean upon him and his resources. Right? Because we're stubborn people. We're people who, who love to do what's wrong and love to do it for ourselves but the blessing is, right, that God is doing this not because he hates us, 
Not because he's punishing us for being unvirtuous, but because God sincerely desires to see you walk in these ways. God sincerely desires and loves you to the point that he is willing to put you through these things because he wants what's best for you. Because he knows that when you walk by vice, when you walk in those ways, where do they lead but to destruction? Where does greed get you? It destroys you. What do you get when you trust yourself? You disappoint yourself over and over and over again. The Lord doesn't want that for you. He wants you uh, not just to be virtuous people, but he wants your love because he knows that's what you were made for and that's what's best for you. And that you are, are... blessed all the more when you are walking in these ways. You know, it's like a two-headed coin. One says, Jesus speaking, without me you can do nothing. The other side, Paul speaking, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, we have a few minutes left. I, uh, left I didn't do this intentionally. I just ran out of stuff to say. Um, But if you have any questions or any comments that you want to add, uh, now would be a great time. Are you going to pass out any kind of outline? Uh, I can, um, if that would be helpful. I'd be happy to. Sure. Totally. Okay, sure. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll make some outlines for next week. Um, we'll be talking about, I forget which ones. I think it's courage is the first one. Uh, a really important virtue in our time, in our age, um, because there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of pressure, um, especially when it comes to our faith. Right? We are pressured to accept the ways of the world, the ways that the world's thinking, um, and we can do it without even realizing it, but the Lord calls us to be courageous. Uh, yeah, there's a lot there. Any other questions or comments? What was the title of the book that you started off with? What was it Jeremiah Burroughs? So, yeah, so that was with the contentment lesson. Um, that was Jeremiah Burroughs, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Okay, well, if there's no other questions or comments, um, why don't we close with prayer? Almighty God. There is none who is like you. You are holy and just and kind and generous um, and self-giving. Lord, when we look at your character, we see, um, we see first that we are nowhere close, but we also see how majestic and beautiful you are. Lord, may you transfix us upon Christ, that our eyes may not wander to look at other idols or to look at other um, ways of, of trying to serve and love you, that we would not put it into our own hands and we would not consider ourselves um, far more capable than we actually are, but that we would learn uh, to rely on you as you teach us what it looks like uh, to be the people you call us to be, as you lead us, as you walk behind us and point us in the direction we should go. And we thank you that you are a God who loves his people even when they stumble, that you've forgiven us, 
through Jesus Christ. May we cling to that, and that we may live for your glory and truly be able to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray all of this. Amen.